0: Peanuts! Peanuts!
1: And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with PressBox presents Stan The Fan's Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to their great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the batter round, guys. Take it away.
2: And happy to be here on this Saturday, November the third. Stan the Fan, along with my friend Craig Heist and our also our lovely and talented producer Brittany Everett, here in the uh, friendly confines of the Press Box Studios. We welcome you in, whether you're listening on. Uh, Pressboxonline.com/slash/radio, or whether you're watching on Facebook Live, at, and if
3: you're doing that, yeah. please share it. Yep, that's a good and point. also like, like it. it, like it. That's right.
2: Hey, you know, something share is good enough. We don't want to push our <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Just share it, and that'll that'll help us. But if you do like the show, please do that. Click on like and share. It helps us. Helps us build the program. Got an interesting show today, Craig. Uh, Orioles uh, uh, or Masson color analyst Mike Bordick joins us at ten twenty. Um, there was news that the you know at, as the season ended and it became official that Buck Showalter would not return. Mike Bordick's name immediately surfaced as a potential replacement. Uh, but I think people may have been putting the cart before the horse a little bit. We got to see who gets the big, big jobs there, uh, and who's going to be making that decision.
3: Right, and uh, again, uh, I would behoove it would behoove the Orioles to try to get this going and get you know a little proactive in this. Not that they haven't been, because this has really been close to the vest. There's not a lot of information coming out on it, uh, but the hierarchy should be. Uh, president of baseball operations, who will then hire the GM, who in turn will hire the manager. And uh, the winter meetings, Stan, are about a month from now. You know, Just over a just month. Just a yeah. little over a month. So uh, something's got to happen. It should happen in fairly short order, you would think.
2: Yeah. Uh, I just want to l- remind people that when Dan Duquette took over, and you remember it was a little bit of a prolonged search to find Andy McPhail's successor, Um, I remember Tony LaCava, the Toronto Blue Jays assistant GM or whatever his position, director, scouting, whatever his position was. Remember, they kind of had decided they wanted to hire him, and he insisted upon some autonomy in terms of uh, firing a couple scouts and dictated that in his interview, and that ruled him out. Dan Duquette did not take over in 2011 until November 11th or 12th. Mm-hmm. So I'm just giving you that. Uh, that's not an optimum time. You'd like to think that uh, they would have been ready to go right jump out of the uh, out of the world series, but however long it takes, the, the most important thing is they get it right. And we had, uh, over the last day, we had Bryce
3: Harper, a qualifying offer from the Nationals. Not a surprise. Not a surprise. $17.9 million. So Bryce has, as all of them do, who get qualifying offers. They've got 10 days to either accept or decline that. And in that 10 days, they check out the market, see what their market availability is, or actually what their market uh, value is and uh, see if they reach other deals, or they can. But uh, Bryce certainly expected to turn this down and then uh, head out into free agency to see what's going on.
2: No question about it. Uh, after Mike Bordick will have on former Orioles pitching coach, but he's also been the Major League pitching coach for a couple other organizations, the Oakland A's, New York Mets, and the Milwaukee Brewers. That's Rick Peterson. He joins us. He was most recently... Uh, the Orioles' roving uh, minor league pitching instructor, uh, up until about the beginning of the 17 season, but I've uh, maintained a relationship with Rick, and I thought I'd have him on to talk about the changing face of pitching. 11:05, we'll have on an old friend, Andy Dolich, uh, a sports consultant. Now he's worked for all four made in all four major league sports football with the 49ers he's worked in basketball with the 76ers and the Memphis Grizzlies he's worked in baseball for the Oakland A's he's worked in ice hockey with the Washington Capitals many many moons ago he lives in the Bay Area and has for about the last 35 years we'll talk to Andy Dolich about the passing of one stretch McCovey who I got to be honest with you Mays was my favorite player growing up like a lot of Mm -hmm. kids right Uh, but McCovey, I had to be honest that when the game was really on the line— I really would much prefer McCovey, McCovey being at, the plate, yeah. at the plate. He was one of the most feared sluggers I've ever seen.
3: Right, and you you hear stories from people that played with him in San Francisco, people that played against him, mm-hmm. about how the ball just came off his bat and had a very different sound than a lot of others whose ball comes off the bat. Right. And uh, first baseman in, in the National League <clears throat> who would be just absolutely scared to death uh, to be playing the position when he came up because of the way he pulled the ball down the first baseline.
2: I just heard this morning how uh, Lanier was on with Ed Randall and oh, Rico um, I remember, yeah. remember when, and they were talking about that, uh, how uncomfortable he made first baseman, mm-hmm. the opposing first baseman. Tony Perez apparently verbaled that out yeah. that he couldn't, he couldn't stand being there. Mm-hmm. Uh, his most famous of all the great accomplishments in the game Uh, Perhaps the most famous uh, play he was ever involved in was the last out of the 1962 World Series when he lined a ball as hard as you could hit one in Game 7 with runners on first and second, and he lined it, unfortunately, right at Bobby Richardson, or fortunately, if you're Bill Latson, and won the 1962 World Series with that loud out by Willie McCovey.
3: Yeah, and I mean he was uh, by, and I and I've I've met him, but past his playing days, right? At a different functions like an all-star game right, or, right. or a card show, right? Memorabilia, and uh, just one of the nicest people you'd ever want to come around and meet.
2: Yeah, yeah, he was a great person. A great loss to the Bay Area, out in San Francisco. We'll talk to Andy Dolich about him. We'll also talk to him about the extension for Bob Melvin. The manager of the Oakland A's, who <laughs> we know if he were available, would have been gobbled up by somebody. But it's interesting. We know that the Orioles and a lot of other clubs are now in that mode of paying a manager maybe a million to a million five in that range. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are the Nationals? They play Dave Martinez, I think, six or $700,000 a year. Yeah. Um, Bob Melvin is the next three years, he's going to make $3.5 million a year.
3: Yeah, and well deserved and uh, you know if if he's not proven anything in his time as a manager especially in that organization is that you know when he's had teams with good talent, good young talent, he's always been able to mold them into a competitive team and a winning team and uh, that says a lot about him and what he's able to do because Stan that's an organization as we know that will get good uh, make their run through the playoffs, try to try to do some damage and then and then you see the talent level fall off. You see almost kind of a rebuild mode a lot of times, and yet he he stays the course and I think he trusts the process and that's a large reason why he's successful.
2: Yeah, no question about it. and they they seem like they've they're more invested in the the younger, Players now right. they got one big decision facing them with Chris Davis, not our Chris Davis. No. They 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 fortunately have the good Chris Davis. Um, well, we had the good Chris Davis. We had a good, had a good four <laughs> five year run here until they <laughs> signed that contract. All right, eleven thirty five. An old friend of both of ours. John Delkos of New York MetsReport.com will join us. He's also, by the way, we can congratulate. <laughs> we, we can co- officially congratulate we'll him. Congratulate him on the job he got at Forbes uh, on their, I think, their digital side, as of opposed things. to Mike Shallon. Mike Shallon <laughs> didn't even know he had a new job, <laughs> <laughs> and he hadn't received the check no, yet. Well, you know, uh, he hates when that's probably happen. one of the one of the clues <laughs> in the eye. You know, going in anyway. Um, by the way, uh, our uh, warm thoughts go out to Johnny Miller yeah. of Boston Red Sox fame. Craig, what does he actually Johnny, do?
3: Johnny, Johnny uh, works, uh, or did work, I don't know whether he still does, right. but uh, for WBZ in Boston, right? Uh, a reporter, gathered tape.
2: And traveled um, with the team traveled extensively. Traveled with the team
3: extensively, yeah, and... Uh, doesn't like a lot of times to take planes, but in this particular instance, he had a medical uh, emergency. emergency on the plane as he was going out to the uh, World Series in mm. L.A. So they had to land the plane, and now he's back in Boston, and uh, you were telling me he's uh, been released? Yeah,
2: he's been released, and his picture's <laughs> up on Mike Shallon's Facebook Good page. Enough. Uh And we're happy to send our warm thoughts out to Johnny Miller up in Boston, not related to the John Miller of, of Oreo broadcasting fame. Uh, Craig, I wanted to start off with something preposterous. Can I start with something preposterous? What makes this day different than any yeah, other? Exactly. <laughs> uh, MLB Trade Rumors uh, has their top 50 MLB free agents with predictions. And I've always, while, it, uh, while the predictions about While the predictions about what team they go to a lot of times can be no better than Mm -hmm. 50-50, but generally the dollars and length of contract, they they seem to be in the ballpark. Now, I know you're a big Bryce Harper fan, and while we both have admitted openly that we're not huge Manny Machado fans as a person, we know he's a great baseball player. Right. They have Bryce Harper— signing with the Los Angeles Dodgers, which is certainly a possibility, for 14 years at $420 million. No way. Okay. Then, number two is right below him, Manny Machado, signing with the Phillies for 13 years, $390 million. Now, MLB trade rumors has been at the forefront of covering baseball and transaction uh, analysis and all that, transactional analysis within the game. What are they missing that they think that combined the two of those guys are getting 27 years of contract? I, I think
3: it's almost like they didn't watch last off season. Well, not just last off season, but uh, you know the one before that as well. I mean, think about the amount of sluggers who uh, were thinking that they were gonna get big-time deals right. and they go are almost into spring training and all these guys are sitting there without a deal in place uh, uh, you, you think about Jose Batista, and and I'm sure there are others out there who uh, were even more prominent than, than Batista but guys you would have thought we're, were in we're line do, for, we're, do- for, for were, we're good for good chunk of money didn't get it and uh, and they were pretty late in the game getting to their new teams. But, uh, you know, I just don't see anything like a 12- or a 14-year deal. I just don't see it. So
2: what do you think is reasonable to expect? And, again, by the way, Machado and Harper both 26 years of age. Right. I think Machado's 100 days younger than right. and, and
3: Yeah, and, you know, I, I think Bryce, coming off the year that he had, first time that he's driven in 100 runs. Right. He had thirty five home runs. Uh, but the first part of the year he was hitting two fifteen. Two fifteen to the all star break. Now he had a finished great finished up
2: at two forty five. Two forty
3: five. But he, I mean he had gotten up to about two fifty five at one point in the second half. So that's a hell of a jump in batting average in that short a period of time. That yeah,
2: means you hit nearly three hundred for a good length <clears throat> right. of time.
3: Right. And uh, you know, so from that standpoint. I I think Bryce will get his money. I think Manny will get his money. I don't know how much of— But length
2: of—term of contract. Terms Harper of contract, eight, eight
3: or nine, eight or nine, probably somewhere yeah. in there. And eight.
2: Machado, I think Machado might have shaved one or two years off of his contract with the with, with the, the antics, interview, yeah. the interview with Ken Rosenthal, the the lack of hustle. May have you. Know, you never know.
3: I mean, the bottom line to it is, you know, if you're a GM, you have to make the determination is the is the risk worth the reward in in this case with Manny because you know I think what, what you're going to get offensively, defensively, and, you know, you're going to get some times where he doesn't run a ball out to first base. And uh, it's up then to the manager to create the culture uh, to let everybody know that's not going to be tolerated. We saw Manny here, I think, on two separate occasions be sat down because he didn't run a ball out. And, I mean, if that's the way he wants to play the game and pursue it, that's up to Manny. But it doesn't help him in the eyes of others. I mean, he's, Just not, going he's on,
2: not passing the visual test. Right. The optics are not right. real good on that. You know, I, and, and I got to be honest with you, the optics have not been good on that for a long time. But to, to but to come out and and basically admit it, yeah. uh, I thought there, there's part of me that says, well, it's nice that he's being this transparent, but it really wasn't that smart. Well, have you seen the tra-
3: picture on Facebook that's been going around about no. him? Uh, except in the uh, World Series award, right? His world. It basically it's a thanks for participating at the bottom, <laughs> and it's a gold horse's ass right. that he's holding up <laughs> on the mantle.
2: And pretty, pretty funny. Pretty funny. That sounds good. <laughs> go anyway. Go to Facebook and see if you can find that. Anyway, I think Machado is like about a seven-year contract, and I think Harper is like eight, eight or nine. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand where they're coming up with four. Why? Why would it? Now, now, now. Here's the other thing with Bryce. It would not surprise
3: me if they find out that that's not out there for him over the next ten days. Right. You know, he could do a Matt Weeters what he did in terms of that for one year. I, yeah, I just and don't... then restart the process again next season. That's a possibility. And if he does that, then he stays in DC
2: for seventeen nine.
3: Seventeen nine. I'd go to D.C. for seventeen
2: I, I'll bet you would. You'd go to D.C. for $17.90. Well, that's
3: just to get on the Metro.
2: Yeah. That doesn't cover the parking. <laughs> that's right. Uh, anyway, I just think they're way off base. Uh, it drops from there. We won't go through the top 50. It's got Patrick Corbin going to the Yankees. Six years, $129 million. Dallas Keuchel mm-hmm. going to the Nationals for four years at eighty-two million dollars. That does seem like a possible fit.
3: Well, and, and while you're running that down, yesterday we had Clayton Kershaw sign with the Dodgers, he and re- that was a three-year
2: ninety-three million, million dollar contract. Yeah. So basically, they lowered the average and added a year onto that. Right. I've, I've got to be honest; I was a little surprised. I thought they were gonna, I thought that he would play a little harder ball and try and get two more years out of them. But hes I've never sensed that he was really that openly greedy. Mm -hmm. I think he just felt like he wanted to play the little bit of leverage he had. I would agree with that. And the other part about
3: it is, too, he's got a lot of people out there who doubt him now going forward a little bit and whether or not he can remain being the dominant pitcher that he has been for them. And one of the great quotes that I heard coming in here today was that he said, uh, i'm I'm more interested right now in proving some people wrong right and uh, you know if if that's one of the things that's a motivating factor then I don't doubt I, I don't count doubt uh, I mean uh, count Clay, Clayton out. Kershaw out of anything yeah because he's that big a
2: competitor well I'd love listen I love the guy I'd love to see him win a World Series yeah. and pitch well in the World Series um he's had a couple opportunities to do that now and he hasn't done that well i his past postseason indiscretions, I thought were a lot more about less him failing than the Dodgers stressing him out. Remember how right. many times they pitched him on three days rest? And, and now he's closed
3: some some of those yeah, he, postseason yeah.
2: games out. The one did it against,
3: against the, the Nationals. Nationals. Right.
2: Did it this year, I think, against the Brewers as well. All right. So well, Before we call Mike Bordick, let me just go over a couple more of these players. Craig Kimbrell, four years to the Cardinals – at seventy million dollars, I don't see that happening. Uh, That's a lot.
3: That's a lot to pay for a chicken wing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and here's one that I don't see happening either. I know the Nats need a catcher. Yeah. they have number six, Yasmani Grandal going to the Nationals for four years, sixty-four million dollars. Before
3: they do that, I think they'd bring Matt Weeders back another year. Uh, I would year. agree with you.
2: They've got Nate Ivaldi, Nathan Ivaldi, going back to the Red Sox at four years, $60 million. A.J. Pollock going to the Giants, four years, $60 million. Number nine is Jay Happ, Angels for three years, $48 million. And here's one of the more interesting ones to me. They've got Michael Brantley leaving the Indians, uh, changing tribes and going to the Atlanta Braves for three years 45 million bucks. Yeah,
3: it's 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 going to be interesting to see when it all shakes down and how it port, how it plays itself out over the winter, but I just, to your point originally, I just don't see Manny Machado and Bryce Harper signing 12- and 14-year deals. Yeah, uh, crazy, crazy. Not for that amount of money. All right.
2: Mike Bordick due to join us in just a minute. We'll look forward to talking to Mike. Uh, I'm sure he's not up to snuff on any more than we are, Um But he's going to join us right now, and there is the former shortstop of the Oakland Athletics and New York Mets and, of course, the Baltimore Orioles, uh, number 14, Mike Bordick. He joins us, Stan the Fan and Craig Heist. How are you, Mr. Bordick?
4: I'm great. How are you guys doing
3: today? Good.
2: Yep.
4: We're doing good.
2: We're doing good.
3: And actually, it was the Oakland A's, the Orioles, the Mets, and then yes. the Orioles yes. again. Yes,
4: I, okay. I, I, right? I knew that. In that order. I knew that. I knew that. And then the Blue Jays at the end. That's right. you right.
2: I did not remember that one. Yeah. I did not remember that one. All right. Mike, how has your offseason gone so far the past four, and four plus weeks? It's been
4: going very well. Yeah, really well. I've been able to uh, catch up with my family a little bit. and I know you guys know with um, baseball season, um, you got to kind of reintroduce yourself because it's such a grind through the course of the uh, long year. So, being able to catch up on some of my kids' sports, I uh, got to watch my freshman at Friends win uh, the JV soccer championship.
2: Congratulations so, on that! Yeah.
4: Yeah, so that was a lot of fun, and the uh, even the friends' uh, varsity
2: teams in the championship tomorrow. So, hey, a lot of good stuff going on. Hey, we had you on back in midsummer, and at that time, I, I totally understood I was putting you on the spot, and I asked you. I said, if if Buck Showalter is not back with the Baltimore Orioles, would you have some interest? And you, at the time, you really poo pooed it, and and it was unfair to put you in that spot of projecting Buck not being back. That said, here we go again, Mike. (laughs) But here we go. Now I can put you in that spot with the the proviso that nobody is in position yet that could hire you, but it was interesting as soon as it did go down that Buck wasn't going to return. You did. I know you were asked by a lot of media members that have become friends of yours and that cover the team if you would be interested in that position now and you unequivocally said you would be.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, there's something to be said with familiarity, obviously, with the organization. Um, and I know that the Orioles are trying to do, you know, basically this whole rebuild and structure it around new faces and things like that. But there has to be some sort of commonplace and, and knowledge of the system. I know that Brian Graham is still uh, in place, and he He's been around as long as anybody and really has a good feel for every aspect, I think, of the organization. So, you know, him being there obviously keeps the uh, organization heading in the right direction. And and I've experienced a lot of good times and, of course, bad times on uh, both sides of the ball with the Orioles. So in that kind of experience, um, I think that can be beneficial.
3: Mike, we are a couple of weeks into now, well, one week now since the World Series ended, uh, and and a lot of things are going to start to take shape here. But from the Orioles' organizational standpoint, how long can they wait, knowing that the winter meetings are a little bit less or actually a little bit more than a month away, how much longer can they wait before they get some structure in place here with, uh, 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 you know, a Director of Baseball Operations who hires the GM, who hires the manager.
4: Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I think it's it's past due. <laughs> you know, yeah. I just, I, I just feel like, wow, this should have been done a, a while ago. But I think there may have been things that have happened in this process um, that that kind of you get hung up on. You know, I don't know if there was intent in – in letting both Dan and Buck go initially. I mean, nobody really knows a lot about what's going on. So really everything that we say is kind of speculation. So for even us to even speculate that it should have been done a while ago, you know, I I think everybody agrees in that. And I would even say that ownership agrees in that regard, you know, that things would have been better off done six months ago, but, but it just doesn't work that way sometimes. And obviously, uh, you know when you bring it to the end then you got to wait for the championship series to be over and then you know and then you start to get things going so you know hopefully when things do fall in place they they really start going because I, you know it's disappointing that things aren't in place today but when they start moving i think everybody's going to start feeling that all right let's go yep. and and just feel that sense of building and and growing and that's the exciting part about you know the rebuild, just the process and once it starts getting underway you can feel the wheels turning and and you just feel better about the the team and and organization and obviously that's what everybody's hoping for.
2: Hey Mike um, this is not meant as a criticism to Dan Duquette or Buck Showalter and I've written a piece on our website a couple weeks back that in the end, I thought what did both of them in, because I think they're both very talented people, is their their sort of internal sniping and resistance to what the other was doing. You've been around some winning teams and you've been around some losing teams. If you could compare the old days of Tony LaRussa and say Sandy Alderson, who was running things in Oakland, I think when you were there, and maybe Pat Gillick and Davey Johnson, and compare that to Buck and and Dan, uh, the importance of not necessarily being 100% in agreement at all times, but at least not being so resistant to what the other guy is proposing.
4: Yeah, well, um, I I think uh, they're all different. (laughs) Yeah. Very different, for sure. I, I think... I was kinda of spoiled and a lot of people were, but you guys probably remember the A's back then were at the time I think considered probably one of the stronger organizations in all of baseball. And it no they had question of the World Series, yep. they lost and then they then they won and then you know, they were back again. So they had strengths throughout the organization and I think the key really was that true continuity between ownership the general manager Sandy Alderson and Tony La Russa. Mm-hmm. and it just seemed like they were all on the same page. And I mean, really, the exact page. Now, behind yep. closed doors, I'm sure there was stuff going on. I mean, they made some big moves. Those those guys, you know, trading Jose Canseco. Are you kidding me? I mean, that was like the, a blockbuster. That was just blew everybody's mind. But you know, they stuck with it and they ended up making it to the postseason. So, you know, that kind of stuff uh, happens. But when you get everybody pulling in the right direction as as the A's did, you end up building a pretty special thing and the yeah. A's did it.
3: They yeah. traded now, they they traded Kensuke when the Orioles were out in Oakland. I remember yeah, that. And yeah, and I was there for that and covered the whole thing. For, Where was he traded first? To, to Texas. Texas. Yeah. 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 And in fact, it's yeah. funny, it's funny, bottom of the first inning, he's out in the on deck circle in the Oakland Coliseum. They don't have they don't have tunnels from the actual dugouts to the to the Clubhouses, you have to walk back up through a, a, a ramp at the back end behind the plate, mm-hmm. and uh, and and it was funny. He was in the on deck circle, and then all of a sudden, you saw him leave, start hugging some people, and then walk up out of the stadium. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Right. We're talking with yeah. Mike Bordick. We're talking with Mike Bordick, mass and color analyst and former major league player for a number of years with both the Oakland A's and Baltimore Royals, and of course the Mets, and briefly for the Toronto Blue Jays. Mike, I couldn't agree more with you the, about the way you said it. It's really about everybody being being on the same page publicly and, and, and showing unity at the important times, and I think that's been uh, unfortunately, missing out of the Orioles, and I think that that's what gives me the most optimism about looking at the future. Is I think the boys really have that in mind and want to put somebody that they can trust in charge uh, and get this thing where all the oars are in the same direction.
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I think uh, you know Pat Gillick and Davey Johnson, and you mentioned those guys. As far as uh, you know, they were both competitors, and they they were a big reason why I actually came to Baltimore because it just seemed like they had that same feel yeah. that the A's had, and and then all of a sudden there was uh, obviously some disruption there, and and then the wheels fall off fell off of that wagon, and I I wasn't privy to a lot. I just know that on the outside I felt like it had that same feel mm-hmm. that the A's had. And and then, you know, when you lose that type of, of feeling and that type of continuity, then you see what happens. The A, Orioles went into 14 years of darkness, yep. you know? So I think it is special that, that teams, and especially from an organizational standpoint, at least everybody's on the same page. There might be disagreements, but... You know, behind closed doors, you better be together through it all, you know? And and especially nowadays, outside of closed doors, socially, if, you know, if you disrupt the media, the media can wreak havoc with an organization and really pull and play sides, and that's what ended up happening with Buck and Dan.
2: Yep, no question about it. Hey, Mike, moving on to a different topic. MLB Trade Rumors, the website, Every year around this time, they do it right after a World Series. They list the 50 most attractive free agents and their prediction as to where they're going to go, how many years, and how many dollars. I just wanted to get your initial opinion. They came out with it yesterday. No surprise, they got Bryce Harper as the number one free agent. They have him going to the Dodgers for 14 years. Four hundred and twenty million dollars. I remind you, he's twenty-six now, and I kind of chuckled at that. No so that that'll take him to age forty. <laughs> that'll take him to forty, and then they've got number two, um, a guy we know pretty well around these parts, Manny Machado, going to the Phillies for thirteen years and three hundred and ninety million dollars. Do you see those length of contracts? being remotely possible for these players to, to get?
3: Keeping, keeping in mind that uh, Manny will have to uh, adhere to the Jack Benny rule, which is once you're 39, you're done. <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah. You know what? I, I think that the last two, the last two off seasons right. have really surprised some people. Yep. I, I just feel like people are going to be surprised again. Yeah. I just think those type of deals are just not going to be here anymore. And I think both players in in ways hurt themselves and showing that they probably don't deserve those type of t- deals. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I know so, exactly what you mean. Yeah, so uh, I would really be surprised. I mean, that would blow my mind if somebody got a ten, 13-, a 14-year deal, but it's, it seems like I'm surprised quite often. Uh, uh, I- when it comes to contracts, I see Machado
2: getting about a six or seven year contract at the at the
4: tops,
2: and Harper maybe a seven or eight year deal. But I don't think baseball, the industry, uh, I don't see any organization making an exception to these two guys for that that kind of term. Uh, the dollars per year, yes, but the term, I just think it's insane.
4: Yeah, yeah, I I can't see it. I, seems like organizations, you know, the Orioles are fighting that right now with their high payroll players. Yep. You know, it keeps, it, it handcuffs an organization. You know, the inability to make moves now. You know, we're talk, obviously talking about Chris Davis, his contract. You know, they would have loved to have dumped that contract, but nobody wants that. And so they've got it, and they have to make the most of it. So, you know, and it hurts him in this situation right now. It's not ideal for a rebuild, you know. And I don't think teams want to, want that type of burden. Yeah, you might win a World Series or but two, you hope for that, obviously. But ultimately, you're going to be stuck for a long time. And, and I don't know.
3: 40 yeah. Let me ask you this then: With what the the year that they're both coming off of, <clears throat> we we know that that Harper had a real tough first half, hit two fifteen, although his power numbers were still pretty respectable. In the in the second half of the season, he wins the home run derby at, at Nats Park during the All Star game. And then and then he takes off. He winds up hitting about 350. A good portion of the second half, winds up at 245. First time in his career, he's had 100 RBI. We know what kind of numbers Manny put up for the year. Uh, I think they're pretty similar to Manny type numbers that we expect. But uh, you know Manny shenanigans in the postseason and his uh, interview with Ken Rosenthal saying, you know, well, I you know sometimes I don't hustle. That's just me. I mean, how much of that is a turnoff to guys?
2: And I think we lost him. I think we lost Mike Bordick. All right. All right. Uh, I, can answer, I can answer that question real quickly. All right. Go ahead, Bordy. <laughs> hey, hey, Craig, how are you? It's great to talk to you. But you would think,
3: you yeah. would think that some GMs, look at that, what would, would happen with, with Manny during the postseason and then some of the words that came out of his mouth. Uh, you, you know, there's it's this
2: it's very hard to justify to your fans, right? That, I mean, uh, we know that there's not a fan base in America that wouldn't be excited to add Manny Machado, but there, there's definitely a part of you that that wonders how this will play. Well, I don't out care. On the I don't really care what you have to say. I'd rather hear it from Mike. Okay, <laughs> I don't. I don't care what I have to say either. Mike, we got you back.
4: Hey guys, I'm sorry. That's okay. We're gonna. I'm sure you have heard the the. Buzz are going off, and I'm trying. I have to go pick up my son, and
2: so. Uh, All right, we're going to make this quick. Let- Craig Thank has you one know. more question. I, ju- and we'll I just, let you know. I just
3: ask you know, we know what kind of season Bryce had—bad first half, good second half. Uh, Manny with uh, his numbers this past year, but then some of the things that he was uh, quoted as saying in the postseason about hustle. How much of that do you think factors into anything? Well, I, I think that's.
4: Personally, I think it should factor into everything. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> if you can do it and then hoist the trophy at the end of the year, all right, you got me. But neither one of them have hoisted the trophy, right? Yep. And, and I think uh, there have been a favorable situation, especially for Bryce. Listen, I'm a Bryce Harper fan, but that team was just loaded for five years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're going to be the best player... You better, you better win something, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you better. I mean, that's yeah. just my own personal opinion. And, and, I, and it's know, a good and point. I think Manny brings a lot to the table as well. But I think, you know, what he did in the postseason is, is unacceptable. And I just don't think you should be rewarded for that stuff. And hopefully, I know a lot of teams, there isn't going to be any kind of collusion there. I just think a lot of teams already got turned off yeah. with that. I would agree.
2: I would agree. Hey, we're going to let you go. I promised you 15, 16 minutes and we got you out in time. Have a great rest of your weekend and we'll talk to you as events warrant, Mike.
4: All right. Sounds good. Thank you very
2: much for coming on.
4: All right. There you you
2: go. Mike Bordick. Uh, We're going to take a time out now and then we'll come back and set the stage for uh, the next segment on the show where we hope to be joined by Mr. Rick Peterson, pitching coach extraordinaire. Um, Press Box's Project Game Day is back at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Press Box's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts all at halftime of every game, and he's joined by the NFL Chick Sarita Hubbard postgame. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill, great food, Good Sports, Press Box Project, gamedayfacebook.com facebook.com slash sports. Hi, Steve. Let's tell the folks a little bit about the
3: Costas Inn. Well, uh, they braved the storm last night that rolled through the Dundalk area.
2: Yeah, and our thoughts and prayers go out to anybody affected at the big Amazon uh, terminal there. Yeah,
3: there they, they lost the roof off the building. And a couple and, uh, people were killed. Couple, terrible. Yeah, but, terrible situation. But the Costas
2: there. Inn is okay. Uh, as far as I know, right.
3: uh, I didn't get a chance to get up there last night because of Oregon the Wizards game. I hate 8 o'clock NBA starts. Right. Uh, so that uh, did two things. That uh, prevented me from going to eat, number one. And you <laughs> and, hate that. And number two, it prevented Nick Triantafilos and I from singing last night. Born to be wild. No, 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 no. Born to, born to run. Born to run. Bruce Springsteen. Born to run. Yes, yes born to run. Ugh. And uh, but you look Inn, great food. Forty one hundred. I got one word
2: right. Born.
3: Born right. Yeah. Forty one hundred North Point Boulevard.
2: Great, uh, great crabs and crab, specials. Monday night is what? Crab cake night. Tuesday night is rib night. Wednesday's steak Wednesday
3: steak night. Wednesday is steak night. Thursday's lobster is night. Lobster night, and uh, it's no better place to go. Around the Baltimore area, if you love seafood and you love great food, it's the Costas Inn.
2: 4100 North Point Boulevard. Check it out.
1: So I'm what you'd call a regular at Chick-fil-A. I go a lot. And if you are too, then join the club. The Chick-fil-A One Club. When you get food, you get points. And when you get points, you earn free stuff. Like more food. Breakfast, for example. Yep, breakfast. There's an egg white grill on a multi-grain muffin with cheese It's not only delicious and healthy, but it now earns you points. Buy anything, get points. Order through your Chick-fil-A app, get points. You're going to Chick-fil-A anyway. Why not get free stuff for your efforts? Join Chick-fil-A One online or through your app. And while I've got your attention, please remember Chick-fil-A Catering. It's a real live crowd pleaser. In fact, order twice as much as you think you'll need. Trust me. Go see Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. Tell him I sent you. If you need help downloading your app, don't ask Steve, but he'll know
5: someone who can help. Chick-fil-A 1, get food, earn more free food. Respect. It's more than a word. In the US Army, it is one of our core values earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference, both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army.
2: Pressbox's Project Game Day is back at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Press Box's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard postgame. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. Press Box's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Press Sports
1: score big at the green turtle with our legendary crab dip juicy burgers or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent free party room need to raise money for your sports league or team our funds for friends program has raised over 1 million dollars for local sports organizations everyone is a winner at the turtle visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle the latest
3: edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg takes a look at Baltimore basketball legend, Juan Dixon, now in his second year of trying to resurrect the basketball program at Coppin State. Plus, we celebrate the 35th anniversary of the 1983 Orioles, honoring the unlikely heroes that helped bring Baltimore its last World Series title. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com.
0: This is former Turf AJ
4: Francis, just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruined the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the
1: Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo, Boo Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor, never
4: wrestled for PWG, never wrestled Uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet, me bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you my list. This is
0: your boy, Y2AJ, here to
1: save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com, on SoundCloud, or iTunes.
2: And we are back on the bat around, Stan the Fan and Craig Heist. Joining us in just a couple minutes, two or three minutes, is a former uh, Orioles minor league roving instructor, pitching instructor, Rick Peterson, who also was the big league pitching coach for the Oakland A's. The uh, Milwaukee Brewers and the New York Mets, three times.
3: And has a real good uh, handle on what's going on in the ever-changing evolution of uh, the way pitching is evaluated and uh, what it takes to get to the big league level and things of that nature and what you got to do. So from that standpoint, uh, he's always interesting to talk to.
2: Yes, he is. Um, Rick Peterson also co-authored a book, called i think it's called i want to double check it's been a while since we've had him on crunch time how to be your best when it matters most mm-hmm. um it's a book on the psychology of performance the foreword is by billy bean uh and it was written by rick peterson and judd Hochstra. and he just won some award over i think it was in in germany was it um, how to be your best when it matters most? And here's a quote from Michael Lewis, who wrote uh, Moneyball. Right, right. When I was working on Moneyball and talking with Rick, it was clear that his coaching ability to maximize performance under pressure was extraordinary. I had the distinct thought he should write a book. Well, he has, and now. he did. <laughs> I, mean, I wonder if Mike. I wonder if Michael paid for his
3: book. Well, but the title of that book is is. Tells you everything you need to know about, you know, everything he puts into watching pitchers and developing pitchers and the mindset you have to have. And the
2: mindset being the key word there. exactly.
3: Yeah, Yeah, the mindset you have to have to succeed, not just to get to this level, but to succeed at this level. Yeah, yeah. And uh, any any young pitcher who, who has aspirations of pitching in the major leagues, Uh, would do themselves pretty well to talk to
2: Rick Peterson. No question about it. No question about it. And uh, Rick, a long time in this game. I wanted to talk to him a little bit about the difference in the leagues a little bit, you Mm -hmm. know, with pitchers. Uh, we, We saw Wade Miley and we saw Kevin Gaussman do exceptionally well in the National League. Uh, versus how they did in the American League with the Baltimore Orioles.
3: Well, and I, but you know what? With with Gosman, I think a lot of that had to do with uh, getting somewhere else, change his scenery, being back with some of the people he had relationships with here in Baltimore before they yeah. left. Yeah. Uh, but Wade Miley, if you look at his career and the numbers between the American League and the National League, it's like, like night and day. Yeah, it it's really crazy. it really is
2: joining us right now is former big league pitching coach and now author and uh, most recently Orioles roving minor league instructor uh, from about 2013 to 17 I believe it was Rick Peterson joins us Rick did I get the years right with the Orioles 12 to 16 12 to 16 all right yeah the, the
6: years the years we were winning
2: that's <laughs> I like how you reminded us of that hey Rick I talked to you the other day to the book, You to Be on the Show, the book Crunch Time How to Be Your Best When It Matters Most. You guys, uh, you and your co author, Judd Hoekstra, just received some type of tremendous award. Where was
6: it? In Germany? Yeah, it's called the Get Abstract International Book Award. It's one of the top book awards that, that's given out to, to, to books. So over 10,000. They review, they, they take categories. So in the business leadership category of over 10,000 books. They picked two books, you know, based on the content and the presentation. And we were fortunate to win that award. So we just got back from Germany not too long ago, which is really exciting.
2: Congratulations on that. I noticed since the last time I looked, not only do you have the foreword from Billy Bean, but on the front cover of the book is a quote from Michael Lewis, the author of Moneyball and about five or six other great books. Uh, and Michael Lewis said of this book, when I was working on Moneyball and talking with Rick, it was clear that his coaching ability to maximize performance under pressure was extraordinary. I had the distinct thought he should write a book. That's pretty How cool is that? That's pretty good praise from uh, Michael Lewis.
6: Well, when Michael Lewis is writing Moneyball, he traveled with us during that season. Right, and I had I had the privilege of sitting next to Michael Lewis on the team bus for over six months. You know, as we went from the ballpark to the airport to the hotel, and then back from the ballpark to the airport and back, you know, back to Oakland. And we had we would have these long, in depth conversations about about the so because basically. The Moneyball story was really about reframing a pressure situation. We just won 102 games, and we lost Jason Giambi, MVP, Johnny Damon, All-Star center fielder, and Jason Isernhaus, an All-Star closer. They, they all left. Uh, you know, Jason went to the Yankees. Johnny went to the, the Red Sox, and Izzy went to the Cardinals. And we had no money to replace them. I mean, that was really crunch time. And it's like, all right, how are we going to compete like this? And and that was really the, the inception of Moneyball. And when you look at, you know, we were talking the other day, and, you know, when you look at all this bullpenning, and bullpenning is all centered around a starting pitcher's ability to go through the, the, middle, the middle of the lineup, especially for the third time. You know, we were looking at all that data back back in the early 2000s. And when you take – so what you didn't hear this year, which you've heard, you've heard forever – in, in most recent time like in a, the last like two decades in baseball you didn't hear anything anybody talk about pitch counts this year did you no very, very little very little and they right. didn't and they didn't talk about pitch counts because back during the moneyball era when we started looking at our starting pitchers and then the uh, the opposing starting pitchers against us and how well they actually did the batting average and slugging percentage against that against the pitcher, the starting pitcher, the first time through the lineup, the second time, and the third time through, there's almost no... There, there's, the, the premier guys, the guys that are in the Cy Young conversation, yeah. it, the, those are the guys whose batting average and slugging percentage is still at a, at a low as they go the third time through the lineup. Everybody else, it, it skyrockets it's up to 100, 150 points batting average and slugging percentage off, off the charts. I mean, we looked at that back in the day. And you know, but but that's why when people would talk about like I don't know why they don't do these pitches, you know, I don't know. Everybody's talking about 100 pitches, 100 pitches. Go look at the batting average when they get around on 100 pitches. That's the third time through the middle of the lineup, 90 mm-hmm. to 100 pitches, and 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 that's why bullpenning, bullpenning, you know, set, you know, really started that way because they wanted to say let's get a reliever to go through the middle of that lineup for the first time. And then that way, our starting pitcher, when he start counting outs, 27 outs, our starting pitcher, if he could take us through, like say, like, let's say one guy got on base or, or, or you know, two guys got on base that first inning, or nobody for that matter, the starting pitcher now, if you start running those numbers, if he takes you, say, through, through the number five in the order, and he comes back around to the number four, that's nine outs. Right. He does it the second time. So by the time he gets through... You know, he, he's he's at the top of the order, and, and, and that now he didn't he only had to go through the middle of the lineup twice to get somewhere around 18 outs, you know, between 15 and 18 outs. You know, so it really shifted the whole paradigm. That's why the whole bullpenning, you know, totally made sense. And then he didn't hear anybody talk about pitch counts this year. Nobody <laughs> cried about pitch counts. Why are they taking them out? They took them out before they ever got to the third time through the lineup.
2: It's fa- it's fascinating how refined it's gotten because the first manager that I really remember that seemed to be a step ahead on all of this, but it wasn't done out of the uh, out of the pitch counts or or, or something like that. Was Tony Larusa in the late 80s? Oh, yeah. uh, but but it was almost done. Uh, at least we, as the public, observed it being done more. That he had Rick Honey cut the pitch against a lefty. And he had a righty, and then and then he brought in the the ace closer, Eckersley. But it was almost batter by batter. But it didn't seem back then, and this is going back now, twenty eight, twenty nine years ago. It didn't seem to be for the same reasons it's done today. But it probably was.
6: You're absolutely right, and, and Tony, you know, Tony, Tony left Oakland. Um, to go to the Cardinals, right? And that's when Art Howe came in, and then I came in with Art Howe, you know, sh- sh- shortly after that. But Tony, and, and in fact, you know, indirectly, one of my major mentors was was Dave Duncan because Dave Dave had, you know, there was a whole cabinet full of blank charts that he used. He so it was just like I looked at the blank chart, saying, "Okay, I, I can fill in a chart." Now I know what he, I, I, you know, that was the criteria that he looked at, you know, as he was as he was, you know, taking his pitchers through, you know, teaching them how to flip the lineup over for the third time, mm-hmm. and, and 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 the real signature of Dave Duncan was take take you know take your 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 starting pitchers. I mean, I remember talking to Joel Panero because Joel Joel was in Seattle at the beginning of his career. Joel Joel was a four seam fastball, big overhand curveball, you know, a nice change up, a little slider. And I said, geez, he went to the Cardinals like, what, what did Tony do Or, or what did dunk do? He said, well, he took me from the, from the third base side of the rubber. He moved me over on the first base side of the rubber. He goes, here's a two seamer, you know, let's learn how to sink this and we're throwing ground balls. I mean, so what you looked at over Dave Duncan and Tony LaRusso's staffs over all those years, what made them so good? They led the league every year in ground ball, fly ball ratio.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: You know, so when you take a look at, you know, sabermetrically going back a couple of years ago, the top ranked number one pitch in all of baseball. So if you took a look at Cooper's slider or Kershaw's curveball, the number one pitch was Zach Britton's fastball. And Zach Britton pitched over 60 some innings that year it was what that was in 2016 when the, when the O's went to the playoffs um, or the one game, the one game uh, wild card against Toronto. Zach Britton that year was sixty some innings pitched. Had fifteen. Think about that. Fifteen. Fifteen is is what. That's that's uh, that's five innings. He had five of those innings that he gave that he got an out by a fly ball. Mm-hmm. Everything else was a grounder or, or, or a swing and miss. And 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 that's why. You know, when going back, if you look at like Mulder, Hudson, Zito. We Hudson was a, was already a two seam guy. Zito, Zito, his he had a cut fastball or his fastball cut had late cut. You know, so he wasn't a two seam guy. Mark Mulder, he could throw a four seamer and and tail and ride it like a typical left hander at ninety three, ninety five, but he could also sink it at ninety one, ninety three. And I remember having long discussions with Billy Bean saying, okay, which direction? You know, we we need to decide what direction are we going to go in with Mark Mulder. Are we going to make him like a CC Sabathia, or are we going to make him like a Power Kenny Rogers? And so we went in that direction, and we, let's let's go Power Kenny Rogers. And Mark Mulder, he he, he I think I, I think for two or three years in a row, he, he led the league in complete games. Yeah. You know, because of the fact that, you know, he and and of those complete games, uh, I want to say like eight or nine of them were under a hundred pitches you know because he was just he, he and Hudson were in the top 3 to 5 every year of ground ball fly ball ratio
3: let me ask you this with the Tampa Bay Rays this year we saw Kevin Cash win 91 games and they did it a lot and mostly through the year Uh, by having a bullpen game, if you will. Now, early in the year, a lot of that was predicated on the fact that there were so many injuries to that starting rotation that that's what they decided to do. And it kind of caught on in some places. But how much of that do you think, could that become more of the norm
6: as we go forward? It'll become the norm when you don't have dominant starting pitching.
3: Right, okay.
6: They, they, they did it out of necessity. They didn't have a choice. Yeah. And they were, try, they were trying to figure out a way, you know, basically what it comes down to. There, there's somewhere around 1,450 to 1,470 uh, in, innings pitched every year. You know, so, so you take a look at, okay, how are we going to cover these 1,450, 70 innings in that range with, this, with, the, with the pitching staff that we have? And and I want to say they had what somewhere around six hundred plus innings out of their bullpen this year. I don't know if can you look at those numbers. I'll, take, you know, I'll try and I'll try and find them. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I want to say that they had that. And and we and we get the same thing. We get the same thing in two thousand six with, with you know with um, you know with the Mets. We we missed the World Series you know by seventh game. We had three two two outs, bases loaded, and a three two count down two runs. And Carlos Beltran was up and Wainwright was pitching. And, you know, I mean, we came down, you know, to that last pitch where it's like, you know, the last, I mean, there's oftentimes like you don't know when the last pitch is coming. It could come up multiple times. But when you come down to the bottom of the ninth inning, 3 2, two outs, bases loaded, you realize that this is the last pitch. (laughs) Unless it's a foul ball. (laughs) This is going to be potentially the last pitch of the game. And, you know, to really look back and, and think about the fact that, you know, we had to go through that because we we lost Pedro Martinez, we lost El Duque, you know, throughout the course of the season and, and we lost El Duque the day before he's gonna start the first game of the the playoffs against the Cardinals. I mean against the, the Dodgers. We ended up sweeping the Dodgers three straight games. But we went into the postseason with with basically Steve Traxel and Tom Glavin. Pedro was out, you know, El Duque was out. And we were trying to just figure out a way to piece together you know, piece together this game. And you know, so when it comes down to it, you know, you can do that in the postseason, you know, especially especially if you have a certain type of bullpen and I think primarily if you have more ground ball type pitchers because what happens with the and, and this is what you saw happen in my opinion a little bit with Milwaukee. Milwaukee was trying to do this all year long. But, but they're, they're back in bullpen. They were all, all sw- swing-and-miss strikeout pitchers like Josh Hader, right. you know, for example, who ended up being reliever of the year in the National League. So when you do it with with, with strikeouts, you're, you're never getting two-for-one outs. You're never getting a ground ball double play because you're not, you're getting, cause most of the dominant pitchers now, they're fly ball strikeout guys. You know, so now you know, you're going to extend those guys even more because their pitch counts are going to be higher because they're striking out people, you know, for the obvious reasons. That's why their pitch count would be higher. You know, so if you can get at least one or two ground ball dominant guys, which is what we had in our and We had Chad Bradford, who he was a five-to-one ground ball, right. ground ball, fly ball. You know, so he was constantly getting ground ball double plays, and, and he, he would lead, he would lead the league just about every year, be at the top of the league. For relievers of getting ground ball double plays, and so you're not going to extend those guys, and I, and, and I think what happened with Milwaukee to a degree, and you know, you, you saw it a couple times in the last last few years um, when when the people are going to their bullpen so early, those strikeout guys they run out of gas. You know, it's hard to do that. You know, when you go through three rounds
4: of playoffs,
2: we're talking with Rick Peterson, Rick, former big league pitching coach. Rick, I can't. Do the math real quick here right now, but you were right on the money. The Rays had fourteen hundred forty-eight innings pitched. It looks like their starting pitchers pitched about six hundred and fifty to seven hundred innings,
6: roughly. Yeah, there, yeah, there you go. So they they had roughly about forty-five percent of their their innings by their starters, right, and fifty-five percent by their relievers. Yeah, I mean, it's you know it's hard to sustain that. You know it, it, and 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 you also have to have a very flexible roster in order to do that. You know, so if you use a guy for for two or three or four innings, you send him back to the minor leagues and bring in somebody so you're fully loaded. So if you have a veteran staff that are out of options, you know you you lose that flexibility in your roster.
2: I wanted to touch on something uh, it, this may be a little simplistic to you, but a guy like Wade Miley, there have been some pretty smart baseball people like Jerry Depoto. Um, uh, Ben Charrington, Dan Duquette, and then again David Stearns out in Milwaukee that see something in him. Uh, The one thing I see that's kind of interesting is he went to the National League for the first time since he was with the Diamondbacks after pitching for the Red Sox, Seattle, and the Orioles. Is it simple enough to say that the National League is where pitchers should try to sign as free agents if they have that opportunity? Because
3: if you look at his numbers between both leagues, I mean, it's like night and day.
6: Right. Right. I, I there's no question about it. I mean, when you take a look at, I mean, I, I, again, I don't have any numbers in front of me, but take a look at how many sack bunts that, that, Sacrifice bunts that they were in, a, in the American League this year, and look at the, the right. sacrifice bunts in the National League. Right, you know, it's just it's just off the charts. I mean, so you know, the lineups are constructed so so, so differently, and and Wade Miley that that style of pitching, you know, it really matches up against you know more of a National League type team. I mean, that's why you know when we were with the Mets, you know, our primary targets were starting pitchers if we could get them, starting pitchers that were in that were in the American League, and primarily if you can get somebody that was in the American League East, because coming from the American League East into the National League, you know, it, it's, it's night and day different. And, and especially if you can, you know, make sure in your interleague play, you know, that you, that you, you have those guys pitch at home if you're a National League team, you know, because it just matches up. There's it, no question about it. Wade Miley's one of those guys. He's, a, he's an outlier, you know, when, when you look at that, for sure.
2: We're talking with Rick Peterson. Rick, I wanna we've got you about three or four more minutes. I just wanted to touch on again the book, Crunch Time, How to Be Your Best When It Matters Most. Your thoughts during this postseason with two of the great pitchers over the last decade, David Price and Clayton Kershaw, the the troubles they've had in postseason, especially David Price, and how David Price Stepped up this postseason, uh, and when it mattered most in crunch time, he was his very best.
6: No question about it. And if you listen to if you listen to his comments and his interviews, he really didn't have it. He couldn't explain why he didn't pitch well in the past in the mm-hmm. postseason, but when he did pitch well, he really came out and basically he basically was saying that you know mentally I just made too big a deal of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just, I just never really pitched my game. You know, I, I remember like talking to you know, Pat Henkin, you, you know, years ago when Pat came off the Cy Young Award when I was with uh, when I was with Toronto, and you know, we were talking about pitching in the World Series and you know, coming into postseason. You know, talking to Glavin the same way, Greg Maddox the same way. You look at their numbers; they did not pitch well at the, at, in the beginning of their career in the postseason. And all three of them basically said, you know, I, I needed to diminish this, like, back to, like, a Little League game. Like, really just go out and enjoy this, and just go out and enjoy pitching, and just be normal. You know, Tom Glavin talked, or uh, Pat Henkin talked about the fact that, in fact, in the World Series, he, they pitched against the Phillies, and he said, if you didn't pitch well against the Phillies in spring training because of the need in the clear water, they played each other so many times, right. in order to make the team as a rookie, you have to pitch well against the Phillies in spring training because that's who you pitch against all the time, right? Because you, know, you play so many games against the Phillies. And he said, "I really brought the spring. I really brought the World Series. I brought my mind in the World Series back to spring training, and I wanted to make it a spring training game because I knew I had to pitch well in spring training in order to make the team. You know, when I when I was a rookie, you know, and I think the same thing happened to to David Price. It- when you take a look at his postseason failures." The stuff's the same. Right. This is the same thing with Kershaw. The stuff isn't any different. It's not like their velocity dropped off five miles an hour, you know, where they don't have the secondary pitches. You know, and Price, I think, really just came down to the point where he he finally just executed a game plan. And you hear his comments, and it was all about literally pushing the pause button and saying, what's my opportunity here? In, 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 in reframing a pressure situation from a threat to an opportunity, and, he, and in his mind, he was finally able to do that. He finally take a, took a look at and said, "This is an opportunity to win a World Series I'm um, one of the all, you know, one of the teams that's you know potentially one of the all-time great teams in the history of baseball, and you know, all I have to do is just go out there and just execute my game, you know not do anything more than what I normally do when I do well. You know, like I do during the season, and he was able to overcome that. And and you could just tell in his in his final comments when he said, "I hold the trump card now." He finally realized that. Yeah, that that's right. And I remember going back years ago with Roberto Hernandez, and this story is in the book when Roberto went through a really tough time, blowing all these saves. And it was like, you know, Berg. I asked him like, "Berg, what are you thinking when you're coming out of the bullpen?" Oh God, I just hope if I could just like get the first pitch over for a strike. If I just hope I can get the first guy out. And I said, Bert. I said, because he used to play cards. He was a good. He played poker, and he's a good, pretty good card player. And I said, you're a pretty good card player, right? And he goes, Yeah. You know, I, I, I end up winning every year. You know, on, on the plane. you know, he ends up, you know, coming up ahead. And I said, you know what? You know, you're, you got a full house, and you're betting deuces. I said, right. Annie up, let's go. That's your hand. And that became his phrase. Annie up was his, his mm-hmm. was the phrase that helped him reframe this. And he said, when I come into the game. You know, I got a full house here. I got three aces and two kings. You know, I said bet, bet your hand. Yep. I said you're coming, in they're betting betting deuces like you're bluffing. And I said you're one of the premier closers in the game at this point of your career. And and it's all and it's really all about the mind. And, and David Price was that was able to master his mind. And one of the things we talk about is your mind is your master, and your body is your servant. Your body's going to follow wherever your mind takes it.
3: Rick, let me ask you this before we let you go, uh, and I think I know the answer to this question already, but uh, since it seems as though wins don't matter anymore in this game for a pitcher, uh, mm-hmm. can I assume you're thinking Jacob DeGrom wins the Cy Young in the uh, National League? I, I
6: Hands down, without question. I mean, when you take a look at the body of work of of the innings and the numbers, and you know, you take a look at the traditional statistics, and then you take a look at the you know the advanced sabermetric um, predictive analysis. I mean, he, he he's off the charts without question. And you know, I, the the starting pitcher obviously cannot control the the amount of runs scored, you know, by their offense. And and to that point, when you look at run differential which is why David, that, that's why the Groms, he's going to win it because his run differential, when he pitched for his team as opposed to the other team, was was probably like, you know, maybe a minus, probably a minus. You know, the the, the opposing team, if they scored one or two runs, that was more than the Mets scored. But if you take a look at run differential, the, the, every team that was in the postseason were all the top teams of run differential. <laughs> yeah. So... So when you're really looking at your team, talking to fans, and you look at like, like for example, the Mets fans were all excited when the team was 12 and one, and well, they were 12 and one to start the season, and everybody's like, "Wow, are we this good?" Well, they had six, half their wins, six out of the 12 wins to start the season. They came from behind after the seventh inning. Take a look at how many the teams that go to the postseason, how many, how many times they blow a lead if they have a lead after seven innings. Probably not six. They yeah. probably don't even get this thing. Yeah. And the Nets after to win. you know, so when you take a look at if you remember a few years ago, several years ago, I think when Davey Johnson was still with the with the Nats, you know, the Nats came into the all star break like like one game up in the division and everybody was all excited. God, can the Nats do this? They had a run differential of like a minus five. No, you can't do this. You're not gonna do this with a minus five run differential. <laughs> you know, you, you're beating the odds right now. But over time, it's just not going to happen, and and that's why Jacob, Jacob Degrom is a Cy Young Award winner without question because the runs he gave up, you know, have nothing to do with the runs his team is scoring, and it's even t- tougher to pitch in those kind of games when your team is not scoring.
2: Rick Peterson, we really appreciate the time. As always, it's always enlightening to talk to you. The book again is Crunch Time: How to Be Your Best When It Matters Most. We'll talk to you shortly. All right, Rick.
6: You got him. You can check
2: out rickpetersoncoaching.com. rickpetersoncoaching.com. All right. All right, thank guys. You, thank you, my friend. Have a great weekend. You got it. All right. Be well. All right. Thank you. And joining us next is going to be um, a, baseball, a sports consultant, Andy Dolich. He's worked uh, for uh, different teams in all the big four sports, worked for the Philadelphia 76ers, the Memphis Grizzlies, Washington Capitals hockey, San Francisco 49ers, and I met him when he worked for the Oakland Athletics. He's uh, still a resident of the Bay Area out in San Francisco, and we're going to be joined by Andy in just a moment. Talk to him about uh, a community loss out there, uh, Stretch McCovey. Willie McCovey passed away at the age of 80 years old. 521 home runs. Yep, and uh, one of the most feared sluggers Mm -hmm. of all time. Joining us right now is our good friend, a couple minutes late on our part, Andy Dolich. He joins us. How are you, Andy?
7: I'm doing great in Eugene, Oregon today.
2: Oh, what's up there in Eugene, Oregon? Watching the leaves change? Colors? Uh...
7: No, actually, the weather's nice, uh, but there's lots of leaves on the ground. Uh, One of the premier sports management programs in the United States is here at the University of Oregon. It was endowed by a friend of mine, Jim Warsaw, who sadly has passed away. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. But the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center is one of the country's top sports management programs, and here... At Oregon, you know, you have the great involvement with Nike and Phil Knight, and right. so we're celebrating the 25th anniversary, and it's been really terrific.
2: All right, is that now? Is that somewhere that you, you go teach it uh, from time to time?
7: I was I was a teaching fellow here, but uh, there's a competition because I'm a graduate of the Ohio University program, which okay. is the number one ranked sports right. management program <laughs> right. in the world, actually, Stan. Um. So we should uh, actually have Rick Peterson come talk because he is one smart dude. And there's too much Oakland A's involvement on a Baltimore show today.
2: Uh, yeah, Mike, <laughs> Bordick, that's a great point. Mike Bordick, Rick Peterson, and Andy Dolich—all different sort of generations of, of the three. Yeah. Andy, well, I guess,
7: I guess based on last season, it's not bad to have a lot of A's and maybe less birds, right? Yeah,
2: but we did want to talk about the other Bay Area baseball team for a couple minutes. I'm, I'm guessing you didn't know Willie McCovey on a great level personally, but you saw him in the community in the San Francisco Bay Area for many, many years. What kind of loss is this for the community first and foremost?
7: significant because Willie McCovey was literally part of the heart and soul of the Bay Area and of course people remember uh, the great Willie Mays who's still uh, out there and will the two Willies were really emblematic of the Giants coming here um, and both extremely exuberant people but uh, Willie Mac just had that magical smile He was always involved uh, in community assets. The Giants do a fantastic job of celebrating their history. And it was really a horrific week for Giants fans, because the week before, Hank Greenwald, the voice of the Giants for many years, also passed. And, uh, you know, when you're a broadcaster of a team for many years, you become part of the family. So... With Willie Mack passing and and Greenwald, really two significant losses for the entire Giants family, and Willie Mack transcended just being a Giant. He was a major part of the Bay Area and very, very sad.
2: How how well did you know him as a player growing up? I mean, because you're not from the Bay Area originally, so do you remember him much as a player?
7: Well, I'm always a big fan of home run hitters and strength, and I'll always remember the screaming line drive to Bobby Richardson. Yep. We you talked know, about it of earlier. One yeah. ama- amazing plays, and, and one of the saddest plays in Giants history. So, uh, you know, hitting home runs in Candlestick Park was not easily done. And just the, the power and grace uh, and luckily in the Bay Area, when you think about it, I mean, Mays, McCovey, uh, Reggie Jackson, uh, Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, uh, all of these players, you know, we're, we're a haven for homers.
2: I did want to talk about Candlestick Park, though, and i it was always I was so disappointed when I finally saw a game in Candlestick Park. Our good friend David Rubenstein went with us and warned me that it was colder than you could imagine. And in my mind's eye from having listened to hundreds of games on the radio uh, when I I was a kid, I couldn't have imagined how miserable the weather was there. Talk a little bit about the wind currents there because Mays actually developed an inside-out swing to get into the jet stream a little into right center to right field because that's the way to hit home runs. Did McCovey get home runs robbed from him by the weather, or was he aided by that?
7: Well, one home run hitter in any stadium in America would not say that they were robbed of home runs. Right. Whether whether there was no wind, whether there was a sun angle, whether the moon was in a certain place, the story that, that I will always remember about Candlestick Park is that Everybody remembers, or maybe they don't, that the Dodgers and the Giants moved west together. And the Dodgers uh, basically had L.A. And George Christopher, who was the mayor of San Francisco at that time, Horace uh, Stoneham, the is owner it, of the is Giants, this, is, is, this the liked
2: story, is this the story about taking him out to the, the site of the Candlestick Park at noon?
7: Absolutely absolutely yeah, and Let's Horace where... Horace well, it was a little bit later Horace liked to have a few cocktails at lunch <laughs> <laughs> and so so it was after lunch right like 130 two o'clock right. and at that time in the day it was it was absolutely calm. but when the fog started rolling in you know from the ocean behind the hills, um, that's when it started howling and so, when they showed him uh, the site, and actually George Christopher's, I don't know, uncle or cousin owned the land <laughs> that Candlestick Park was on. And Horace said, wow, this is beautiful. Yeah, let's do this. <laughs> and it was one of the great scams of all time. Um, and the other part, for those that have been, you know, that travel to the Bay Area, you don't want to come in June and July. You want to come in September, October, November. Right. So in the summer months it it could be fifty five degrees and sort of misty and blowing and that's not the weather to enjoy baseball. And then the Niners play there, September, October, November. These games are being broadcast across the country. It's seventy two degrees. It's absolutely Um, No wind whatsoever, and people are going, I want to go to Candlestick Park, but terrible for baseball, great for football.
2: Yeah. I've never been more miserable at any sporting event. Partly, I I had some kind of sweater or something, but I'm traveling on my vacation in, like, July or August, and I go to a night game there. I was more cold there than I've ever been at any sporting event.
7: Well, you were probably also miserable because David Rubenstein was sitting next to you. (laughs)
2: There's, there's, that too. There is that too. Hey, um, we're talking with Andy Dolich, a longtime sports consultant. He's been he's worked in every of the four major sports with different franchises. Uh, your thoughts in, in observing the A's and these extensions that the general manager, the president, of baseball ops, and the uh, and the manager are getting right now.
7: I personally and all A's fans were extremely excited and and approved. Uh, My problem was that it should have happened months ago, and in some instances it should have happened before the year. Um, What I continue, and we've talked about this on the show before, the A's um, had one of the more magical seasons that baseball has seen in the past few years, but their attendance was down at the bottom uh, 26 seventh in attendance in major league baseball and so why you wait until after the season and it gets thrown into the middle of the ongoing golden state Warriors magical season and the records that they're breaking already and just less than 10 games uh the football morass here of the horrible raiders and the not so good 49ers and all the other competition, why would you wait and throw it into that? Yeah. And the other part, which really sort of irks me and many, many other fans, is there was very little promotion on Olsen and Chapman and Chris Davis with a K. Mm-hmm. Um, and the great young team that they have, it just makes no sense. And they're, they're still saying that they're going to make an announcement before the end of the year as to the selection of a new stadium site. And we've heard this before. We've actually heard it for 13 years. Um, Is this signing of the infrastructure of their baseball side, you know, a good sign that they're ready to get serious? Only time will tell. Let
3: me ask you this about the city suing the Raiders uh, about the move. Now, what does this mean for next year as far as Oakland is concerned? Because, the ballpark in or the new stadium in Las Vegas isn't going to be ready by next no. year. So, what does this mean? Absolutely as, not. So, what does this mean as far as the Raiders and where they'll play next year?
7: That is uh, a very large question in that uh, the Raiders have stated, and we'll see what happens, that if a lawsuit went forward, they absolutely would leave. Um, But where are you going to play? Uh, It's pretty much been decided, and I was at the 49ers when we had legitimate conversations about sharing a stadium. And, as again, we've talked about this. You look at the success of the Jets and the Giants, um, the future of the Rams and the Chargers, which is probably not going to be very successful. Mm -hmm. But it would have made all the sense in the world for the Raiders to play in our stadium because we were 10 years ahead of them in terms of all the complexities and financing of building what has become Levi's Stadium. And so Al Davis literally at the time said, over my dead body, unfortunately, you know, that <laughs> happened. Uh, will, we ever, will we ever play in Levi's Stadium or a stadium with the Niners? So now you've got Cal Stanford who've said, no, thank you. Um, some people have said, you know, let's go to San Diego. That would be brainless. And if they went to Vegas and played in Sam Boyd, Sam Boyd doesn't come up to any NFL standards. So they could be team Bedouin. Could, could Um, they be a team,
2: Andy, could they be a team that simply doesn't have home games next year and plays at other NFL venues?
7: I guess they could. I mean, you talk about really, really bad timing, guys. Yeah. I mean, clearly right now they're the worst team in the NFL. They're hanging their hat on all these first-round draft picks that they got um, from all the players that they've traded away and will continue trading away. But their season fell apart when Khalil Mack went. You could just feel the air being sucked out of the Raider Nation. And you know, John Gruden. There's a lot of questions about whether the game has passed him by. So, he's, and he's getting a hundred million. He's getting hundred so million dollars. They are they are not they are not in a good position to do anything right now.
2: A question about his deal is: Is he got got some small percentage of ownership too, or is he just getting a hundred million?
7: I, I don't know that, but okay. you know what. Guys, if you're getting a hundred million, act with a small percentage of I ownership. Hear you. I even hear that, you. even though that would be a few extra hundred million, because this is a team now worth two billion plus. I mean, Mark Davis's mother actually is the legal owner of the team. Right? They do not. they are one of the least asset appreciated ownerships in the NFL. And if things don't go right in Vegas, and they need money. Um, You know, you could look at a possibility of a sale. I don't see that, but it could be. And, and, you know, if you have a piece, um, you know, that's worth a few hundred million bucks in today's world.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's amazing because when the wife takes over, there's not the estate taxes involved. But then when she passes, and how old is she? Um,
7: Late 70s? Al Davis's wife is probably in her mid-80s, guys, I think. Yeah something like that, Carol Davis. And, you know, I think a lot of the Raiders' problems could be solved if Mark Davis had a different hairstyle, but that's just my
2: view. <laughs> he is one of the least attractive human beings <laughs> on the face of the planet. We're talking to Andy Dolich. Um, Andy, talk a little bit about him. We, You know we talk baseball pretty much all the time on this program. But talk a little bit about what the uh, Warriors are like right now as a machine in sports marketing.
7: I, I laugh because a week ago on all the talk shows, uh, they were all lamenting, oh, my God, Clay Thompson's lost his shot. What are we going to do? How are we going to get him back on track? And then the next day, he broke Steph Curry's NBA record for threes. Um, Which he said against have, the Wizards. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, but it's still it's still NBA basketball. It's not easy. Um, and although I think if they kept at it, they probably could have scored two hundred points in that game. Yeah,
2: yes, they
7: could. Uh, you know, they have Alfonso <laughs> McKinney. Uh, you know, who came out of three x three, the 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 basketball project that I'm working on. He, you know, he played in it previously, so he's he's lighting it up. Um, what I what I say pretty simply is they have become the Cirque du Soleil of NBA teams. You know the, the circus comes to town and that's cool, but the Warriors come to town. Kevin Durant, uh, Steph Curry, who's beyond magical, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. I mean they have so many weapons and they do things in such a joyful manner. Mm-hmm. I, I liken them to one of the great jazz groups. You know each night they could turn to each other and say, Hey K D, why don't you uh why don't you blow for a while, right? And he goes for thirty eight. Right. Or uh, Hey Dre, you know, you haven't scored much lately, <laughs> or why don't you go out and get eighteen pounds? <clears throat> yeah.
0: Um yeah.
7: you know, so they have a drummer, they have alto, they and they do that. that you know, is... they and, and they've got the greatest conductor of all time, at least at the Bay Area, in Steve Kerr, who's if he's not the coolest guy going there's not too many that are any better than Kerr.
2: That's a great, great analogy. And and don't they have this guy, Cousins? Is he still hurt?
7: Oh, yeah, the boogeyman. The, boogeyman. Uh, the, ol- the only player to get thrown out of a game this year in the NBA not playing um, <laughs> early, you know, two weeks ago. So when's he do back? Con-
1: when's he yeah, do back?
7: People- Well, they don't know. It's almost like a TV game show, like he may be back (laughs) earlier he may not be. They don't need him now, but if you just strip away some of the outside questions about Boogie, that guy is an NBA all-star. Yeah. So they have an NBA all-star who's as tough as they come uh, and can really play in reserve. And it's a long season in the NBA, and so... You know, thinking about the jazz analogy, like, hey, you know, we've got another great horn player that's coming to join the group, and yeah. and that's going to happen.
2: Yeah, they've got like an alto sax and a soprano sax guy coming on. Uh, you got it, Andy Dolich. Many thanks for joining us. As usual, it's always a pleasure. Uh, and thank you for filling us hey, in on McCovey and uh, two quick, yes, two quick
7: plugs ahead. before I go. go Number ahead. one. Uh, There's a new podcast that I'm doing with Fred Clare, the highly respected long-term executive of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and Pat Gallagher, who worked for the Giants for 34 years. It's called Life in the Front Office. started about a month ago, and you can find it uh, on a lot of different uh, locations. Life in the Front Office and our book, for those that are listening, that are athletes or parents of athletes, 20 Secrets to Success, For NCAA student athletes who won't go pro,
2: twenty secrets of success for NCAA athletes Athletes
7: who won't go pro available on Amazon and and any other bookseller around the country, and it's actually selling books, Stan. Hey, hard to believe.
2: Can you help us get Fred Clare on sometime?
7: Absolutely, you all just right. let us know, let me know, and I'm right. happy to do it.
2: All right, thank you very much, Andy. I'll talk to you soon.
7: Okay, bye, all guys. All right, there
2: you go. Interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's always got interesting stuff, and always does. You know what I like about Andy? It's amazing. You know, you can't be too prepared. Andy listens to this whenever he's on. Yeah. I don't know if he listens next week if he's not on, but he knew that we had Mike Bordick on. Yeah, he knew that we had Rick Peterson on and remembers them all very well. Uh, We are going to take our time out now, our second of the program. Uh, John Delcos is going to join us at about 11.35, so we've got a couple minutes in between. But right now, let's tell the folks about Big Bats.
3: All right, over on the eastern shore, uh, Stevensville, that's where you can find Big Bats. Go across the Bay Bridge if you're heading down to the shore, and uh, you can get off on uh, the first exit right there, Route 18, I believe it is, correct, and uh, go to the top of the intersection at the light, make a left, go down about a quarter mile, Big Bats is on the right, great food, great bar food for watching games, and uh, they have all the TVs there for you as well. And uh, it's great this time of the year because you can catch all the NHL games, the NBA games, college, uh, college football, football games, the Ravens on Sunday. Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, big bats, and you can actually go in into the bar and sit down. Because all of the bar stools... sit on a base. And sit on a base. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's one of the more... And then theme rooms, too. Theme rooms around the bar, uh, and, and one of the... they opened
2: l- up the Craig Heist room? The no, office? they
3: haven't, Or the Stan the Fan room. But one of the great rooms over there is an Orioles-themed room, which is just memorabilia f- from the organization's 60-plus years here in
2: town, including all the World Series memorabilia as well. All right, Big Batch Cafe... It's uh, Kent Island's original sports bar located 216 St. Clair Place in Stevensville Maryland. great food, entertaining environment and you can always watch your favorite sports. yeah absolutely and uh, and you can catch them
3: if you're if you're heading down that's one thing but if you're heading back from the Eastern shore, Uh, Just make it a point, it's the last exit before you hit the Bay Bridge.
2: All right. Latest edition of Press Box is available now on the cover. Steve Ginsburg takes a look at Baltimore basketball legend Juan Dixon now in his second year of trying to resurrect the basketball program at Coppin State. Plus, they celebrate the 35th anniversary of the 1983 Orioles honoring the unlikely heroes that helped bring Baltimore its last World Series title. Press box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 World Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps. PressBoxOnline.com. And
3: let's hope Steve Ginsburg does not attend the Capitals-Dallas Stars game tonight. Because there will
2: be overtime. Yeah, overtime or a shootout. Yeah. All right. We'll be back in just a couple minutes.
1: Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious b before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster, Wings Beer Sports, available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details.
8: What's up, it's KZ. This season, you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at Loop League. Click the link pinned at the top of my Twitter page, that's at Fans Fantasy, and pick any five games against the spread every week. It's free to sign up, and someone wins a $25 Royal Farms gift card every single week. Plus, we'll have great season-long prizes as well. And check out all the other awesome games at Loop League, where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time. Join our picks league now at
5: loopleague.com. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values. Earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference, both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army.
8: KZ, Sari, the NFL Chick K.O. from the Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon.
9: And you can also check us out on
4: Facebook.com slash sports.
8: We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The the other type of football? No. No we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Tennis? No. Rugby? Nope. No? Just football. NFL football. football. College College football. football. Every Sunday morning, ten AM to noon, press box, fantasy and reality football show. Press Box's Project Game Day is back at halftime and postgame for
2: every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Press Box's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard postgame. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. Press Box's Project Game Day, facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Sports.
1: Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show, but I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce.
5: Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these
1: things are options for... 30 solid seconds and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson GlennClarkRadio.com PressBoxOnline.com slash radio and watch the show Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports
2: And we are back with the battle round reminder tomorrow morning Ken Zalas and Sarita Hubbard and Kyle Ottenheimer with the fantasy and reality football show from 10 to 12 then at halftime Glenn Clark has a Project Game Day The halftime for about 15 minutes and then after the game Sarita Hubbard The NFL chick, and uh, Glenn Clark do another edition of Project Game Day uh, and field your questions, and uh, that is all brought to you by Glory Days Grill.
3: And you can always catch it on Facebook Live. That's right. Like with this show, and we ask that when you do catch it on Facebook Live that we ask you to share it and like it so yeah. that other people can get involved in the program. And also, bring your computer screens up, and uh, we'll try to answer whatever comments we see. Yeah, say. we're going
2: to start doing a better job at that. We don't. We should do a better job at that. But it is a big deal for us, even this late in the program. We're like in the eighth inning of the program, mm-hmm. of the nine-inning game. Uh, so, you, you so you're basically it. on the bench at this point, right? Well, I'm, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm the guy waving to bring in the closer. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> and we bring in our closer right now. So it does help to share it even late in the program so please add a couple more shares we got a good number of them this morning we do bring in our closer to the program this week an old friend uh he does um, a website and um a blog up in new york called new york mets report he's our old friend john delcos how are you johnny
9: i'm doing fine stan
2: remember how the, are you remember this guy sitting to my left Oh
9: yeah, I I
2: do. Yeah, yeah. you actually <laughs> Craig, like you actually like uh, him, do. don't
9: you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: no. I know I know it took a lot to get that out of you this morning. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's hard to admit it, but there's a lot of people that like Craig Heist. Um, yeah. John, we we reached out to you, and it's funny. I called you. At the, I haven't talked to John in at least six months, seven months. He answers the phone. And he goes, "What time do you want me to be on the <laughs> show?" <laughs> Um, but we brought you on. The New York Mets made some not only news, I think a lot of us would say it's very interesting news by hiring uh, an agent to be their general manager, Brody Von Wagenen.
9: Yeah, it was a stunning, stunning announcement. Um, I. But if you look at the, the landscape of the, this whole process, guys that were um, well-known didn't want to interview with the With the Mets, right? Um, Guys backed out of interviews, and um, so they had really no other alternatives. Um, They were going to hire. They they did talk to Doug Melvin, which I know you you remember. Sure. And um, I thought Doug would get the job.
2: I think most. I think most people felt in the end that they were going to go old school and hire more. Classical, or, or you know, the the old definition of general manager. Yeah,
9: yeah, I thought so too. But when you look at it, Melvin is is, is not really a marquee name, um, and I mean, it's not, So that we're going to, Jeff Wilpon said, we're going to go outside the box, and that's as far outside the box as you can get, um, unless they want to hire a sports writer.
3: All right, now now let me ask you this. With Brody's uh, resume of being an agent, he obviously knows players. He's Ryan Zimmerman, certainly one of them. Uh, You know, how does that maybe uh, fit into what the Mets were thinking? And as you said, probably not their first choice, but in the end he winds up getting it. Where do you think that kind of fit into their thinking? Just the fact that he's been out there as an agent and knows a lot of the players.
9: Oh, I think that has to help, Craig. Uh, it, it can't hurt that, that his that he's his main client was Jacob Degrom. Yeah. So yeah, you know, and they also uh, Noah Syndergaard is also in his agency and Cepeda. So there's a there's a tie there. So the Mets the Mets knew Van Wagenen well. In fact, early in the process, they asked him for some recommendations. You know. You know, who, what gentleman sh- should we t- be talking to? And then, you know, it just, it came to be that he was the guy. Um, it, it's, obviously, there's going to be a conflict of interest r- issue raised, yeah. and we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Now, I can't sit here and say he's going to do a good job or a bad job, because I don't know. I, I have no clue, and um, it, it's going to take time. And, and and how much time Blue Ponds are willing to give them, I don't know. But it's one of those things, Craig and Stan, that if they want to win, they say they want to win now. And I don't, I don't see how it can happen. I really don't.
2: You know, it seems to me that it's, it's very similar to when the Orioles were trying to replace Andy McPhail. They, they ended up, you know, they were talking to the conventional choices and they had a bunch of people back out. Then they had Tony LaCava, who they were ready to hire, and LaCava said, well, wait a minute, I have to have the right to fire these people. So they ended up going a very odd choice of a guy who had been out of the game for 10 years in Dan Duquette. I look, on a, I look at, at this situation with the Mets where you got Fred Wilpon probably wanted Doug Melvin. And you probably had Jeff Wilpon willing to hire somebody like Chaim Bloom or a Ben Charrington, somebody new and more analytically driven. But, but those people didn't want a part of it because they knew that there's a huge chasm there between the Wilpons. I don't mean they don't well, love each other. I mean, the way they want to run this team, it seems like it's two different trains going in different directions.
9: Well, that's, that's, that's true. That's absolutely true. Um, Fred has the final say, but he's been a hands-off guy. Jeff has been a hands-on guy. Yeah. And it's hard if you're a hands-off guy to all of a sudden, you know, start meddling in the, in the, in the, uh, process of the team. I think that, and I've written this a couple of times, that Fred Wilpon is doing the Mets of disservice by not being more hands-on. Right. And, um, you mentioned Sherrington. was one of the guys that, that backed out. Now, yeah. Kyan Bloom, uh, he was one of the final three contestants.
2: Right. And Kyan Bloom is the guy who works with the Tampa Bay Rays, correct? Right yeah, now? He is. Yeah.
9: And, yeah. And he's going to get hired somewhere.
2: Yeah, he'll, um, he'll get a job in the next couple of years, no question about it.
9: Well, you know, it could be sooner than that. San Francisco's looking for a general manager. So who knows if he goes there.
2: I'm wondering, uh, you're you're in the New York area, you know, New York, New Jersey area. Have you gotten to know Karen Ang at all? No. Yeah. No. Okay. I just was wondering because she certainly is around the periphery of a lot of these jobs too. She just interviewed for the uh, Giants' general manager job. You hear her name mentioned here uh, in Baltimore a little bit. Oh, you mean Kim? Kim? Kim Ang, I'm sorry. I said Kim yeah. I know, Kim. Okay. I know Kim. I know Kim. Your your I, thoughts? I, I, yeah, it surprised me her, you didn't know. Yeah, Kim Ang. Uh, your thoughts she, on her?
9: I like her. I did a big a big piece on her, and um, it's funny is that I I called Scott Boros for a comment, and um, you know I mean I call him for comments all the time, and he doesn't call back. But I said uh, I'm doing something on Kim, and bam, he called back called her right away. Back. Yep. Um I think she's going to get a job. I, I you know that that would have been an interesting hire.
2: Yeah.
9: Um she knows the inner workings of a baseball team better than Brody Van that Wagoner does. Mm-hmm. And um it, it would have been it would have been an interesting hire. And uh I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be surprised if she she gets a job soon.
2: I, I want to ask you one more thing about Brody Von Wagenen before we pa- move along to a couple different topics. He is clearly being named general manager, correct? There's not another position there that he could hire Kim Ang or an assistant or, or a GM. He's not the president of baseball operations, correct?
9: No, no, he's not. Um, but if he wants to bring somebody in, they're not going to stop him. Okay. Now, what they the Mets have already said is that that uh, of the triumph of of the guys they had last year, uh, Rico, Mania and Ricciardi, that uh, Mania is going to be the number two guy. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he has GM experience. He had it with Montreal. He had it with the Mets. If Brody needs somebody to lean on, that's the guy to get. Um, I don't know what this means with Rico. I think he, he... He's probably on the outs now. Uh, I mean, he—he he was wasn't even considered to be interviewed, uh, and it was odd because he helped on the interview process for this, uh, interviewing Van Wagon, and so I don't know where he's going to end up going, but he's going to go somewhere. Yeah. I've always liked John Rico.
2: Yeah, I think he's going to get out while the getting's good because I think he probably feels that he was overlooked. You know, that he should have been given that job. Been there a long time. Yeah,
9: he was. He was overlooked, and and the Mets wanted to make a big splash. Uh, They wanted to do something unique, Um, but no matter who they hire, if the Mets doing something unique, they've got to get talent, and they have to spend for talent. One of
2: the other one of the other things that Sandy Alderson's departure has done, it's exposed a manager that was not hired by the new general manager. Uh your thoughts on the position this puts Mickey Callaway on. Is he on a very short leash in two thousand nineteen?
9: I don't think so. I don't think so for the following reasons is because um if they Mets go south, he's gonna be a fall guy so they're gonna let him take the bum of it.
0: Okay. And
9: they're not gonna pull pull the plug on him right away. They've already said that he's gonna come back. Okay. And he wants to come back. So that's not that's not an issue of a good incoming GM not being able to um, announce his own staff. but if he wants to hire a special assistant uh, of some kind um, that they'll 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 let him do it.
3: Let me ask you this uh, and and that has to do with this upcoming off season and the free agency issues that we see. Uh, Stan was referring to a list that uh, MLB trade rumors had put out with a lot of different predictions about all the free agents and what kind of money they're expected to get and the length of deals. And they had Manny Machado and Bryce Harper at the top of that list, with Harper getting a 14-year deal and Machado getting a 12-year deal.
2: All of the, what, uh, about? It was Harper 14 years at 420 and Manny 13, 13 at 390.
3: Now that said... When you stop and think about what the free agent market has been like the last two seasons, I say that those numbers are absolutely ludicrous.
9: Oh, they are. They are. There, there's like, first of all, the the most ludicrous numbers is not the money; it's the years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta backload that big time. Um, Maybe they'll do it like Bobby Vunia's and extend it out thirty years and give him a million dollars a year, or whatever. <laughs> um, but um, of the two, I'd rather have Harper than Machado.
2: I would agree with that. I would agree with that.
3: Well, how much do you think? You now, if somebody would ask me that in the middle of the year this past year, I said it was Manny hands down. But now we see some of the antics in the in the postseason with the Dodgers, and we see his interview with Ken Rosenthal about his hustle. Uh, and, and things of that nature, I'm sure that painted a pretty nasty picture for a lot of GMs out there who were considering going after him.
9: I would think it would. In fact, I wrote that this week. But, you know, if somebody's going to pay him something and they're going to pay him a lot, I just don't think it's going to be as much as you want it to be. Um, I, would, I would not be surprised if Machado came in under $200 million. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, you know, when you stop to think about some of the big-name guys and some of the power-hitting uh, uh, people that were out there in free agency the last two years that were expecting big-time contracts and never really got what they expected to get, kind of think that's the way the market's going. And uh, I don't think we're going to see a lot of that this year either.
9: I think we are, too. I think I think um, the union is, is going to be in for a, a real – real um,
2: rude awakening
9: Rude awakening yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, baseball Players Association has not been as powerful since Don Pierre left and um, you know Bud Seeley walked all over them and now um, yeah. uh, they Mantra brought it, is doing doing the same yeah they brought um, in
2: and they brought in a new guy to be like their negotiator I mean it's almost an admission that that's not Tony Clark's real strength. Isn't no, it
9: no. I mean, his real strength was, was pulling inside curveball.
2: Yeah.
9: <laughs> I mean, that's it. That's
2: and, a good um, point. That's a good point. <laughs> he,
9: he's, he's, they need somebody to be re- really, really tough. Um, it would have been interesting if Van, Van Wagen had been. Hired as
2: an in negotiator for the Players
9: Association.
2: Yeah, well, that would have been an interesting. Well, hour. maybe he will in about two years. We're talking <laughs> with we're talking with John Delkos. John, the the dollar figure you put out there for Harper makes me wonder, and, and I'm not necessarily disagreeing with that. I think he'll get probably two point uh, uh, like two hundred and sixty million or something like that, two thirty to yeah. two sixty, but. Could the Mets end up a surprise player in the Harper sweepstakes? No, no, absolutely no. not.
9: Absolutely not. Um, they won't spend that kind of money. And, and it's it, they, it's interesting because they, I was going to say real quick they, say they want to win now. They're not going to do that. Well, sorry
3: about that. I turned into stand the fan for a second. <laughs> uh, I, I, there was a story out on the internet the last couple of days that said. Harper was seen getting an apartment up in the New York area, really, yeah, and then you know we were like, anybody that's covered him and knows a little bit about you know what the deal might be coming up we we all went we all called b s right away
9: <laughs> well i one of the things I wrote earlier in the summer for and i'm not, I'm not doing some stuff for forbes um is that um if the Yankees want Harper, they can get him. Right. Um, They could, they could easily sign him and have him play first base at DH this year, because Aaron Hicks is probably going to go after next year. And then they move Harvard back to center. Um, And then you have a outfield of Harper judge and uh, Stanton, which is, I mean, that's, that's a, a billion dollar outfield really. Um, he has a better chance of going to the Yankees than the Mets. Um, Harper, you know, he says he wants to win. Well, the Mets, what, and here's the bottom line on why they, they, they shouldn't hire or sign Machado or Harper, is the Mets have so many filled, um, uh, holes they need to fill that they have to spend that money like that. They have to spend that money over several positions. They have to rebuild the bullpen. They never had a good bullpen in their Altson. Um They have to decide who's going to play center field. They have to decide who's going to, to catch for them, who's going to play first base. Um, plus, they have to pay DeGrom and Syndergaard. Um, they have a lot of voids that need to be filled before they can even think about winning this year. And now Van Wagenen says, we want to win now, but he hasn't said how he's going to win now. Yeah. And um, I don't think that um, the Wilpons will let him spend the money it takes to win. Um, I have been reading and hearing that Harper and, and Machado will end up in Philadelphia. Now, I don't know if both guys will go there, but if it does happen that way,
0: that would um, be something. I mean, you
9: guys have seen that ballpark. Um, that's, that's There's going to be a ton of home runs hit there. Um, But that would be more likely than either one of those guys ending up with the Mets.
2: You know, uh, one of the uh, things you've heard almost since back in May is that if the Yankees really were interested in Harper, it's not as if they have endless, endless uh, pockets that they would try and move Stanton. Could you see any scenario in which Stanton got moved to, say, the Dodgers?
9: To the Dodgers up. is the uh, the only team, yeah, that I can see him going to. Um, but but if you I'm you the really Dodgers,
2: if it? I'm the Dodgers, I probably want Harper rather than Stanton, don't I?
9: I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know about <laughs> that. I I, I I I would. You know the the Dodgers the Dodgers are are, are pretty loaded right now as it is. Right. Um, and and do they really want to add that? You know, he, he he's making two hundred fifty million dollars. Uh, he's got a no trade clause. He's going to have to waive. Right. Uh, there's nobody. There's let me say there's not, not nobody, but there's very few teams that that can afford him. Yeah. Um,
2: the Yankees, Dodgers and, being one of two. Yeah.
9: And 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 maybe the Cubs. But should he go to the? You know, they have Rizzo and they have Bryant. They have the the Cubs are, are are pretty well stacked right now too. They they don't they don't really need to add that kind of salary.
2: Not and, only are and, they not only are they stacked, John. There's talk that they're going to be very much stressed to to spend uh, a lot more money this off season. In fact, to to kick in the um, Cole Hamill's twenty million dollar contract, they traded Drew Smiley yesterday to Texas. Right to free up $7 million, uh, which I thought was a great trade by the Rangers.
9: Oh, sure it was. Yeah. Sure it was. I, I think the Rangers got the better end of that yeah. deal. Um, I don't know. You know, Theo Epstein's uh, reputation of being a genius is, is certainly going to be tested.
2: All right. Well, listen, we appreciate your jumping on board to talk a little bit about your beloved Mets. Also, we uh, congratulated Mike Shallon about three weeks ago. About getting a job with Forbes magazine <laughs> or, or Forbes, their online uh, digital product. I understand you're the one that actually got that job, correct?
9: Yes, I got I got a job
2: there. Now, is that on their digital property? Yes. And what kind of uh, you know? How often are you writing for them, and where can people find it?
9: Uh, you can read. You go to Forbes.com, and um, you I, I write about. Three times a week, four times a week.
2: That's great. Uh, that's some, really great. Sometimes more. All right. And I'm
9: I'm writing about uh, baseball, obviously, and uh, football and basketball. So um, I'm here, I'm doing that. You're a
2: man. Stuff. You're a man for all seasons.
9: Yes. Well, that's, we, why, that's why. That's why we, we
2: get along so well. Well, we appreciate you stopping on board the uh, bat round once again. All right.
9: I I I, I, I appreciate you having me on. And I can assure you that I will not be writing about the Washington Wizards anytime
2: soon. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. We're the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you soon, Johnny. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you so much. All right. There you have it. John Bye-bye. Delcos, New York dot uh, report.com and Forbes.com. That's a great job for him. Great
3: job for him. He deserves for him. it. He's Love deserved Delcos. it. He's gone through... Uh, quite a bit, and, yep. I, and I met him way back in the day covering the Orioles when he was writing for the York Daily young Record. Young up-and-comer back yep.
2: then. Yeah. Remember when I was a young up-and-comer? No. Well, no, I've always known you as an old man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, we're going to take one final time out, and i got to tell people about the cost to send. Well, why I think wouldn't I'm you? going there. I think I'm going there tonight. All right. I think I finally got the approval from the ball and chain. Good. Yeah. Maybe I'll blow off the Caps game tonight and just join you. Well, it's going to end up uh, – if. If, I would, you know what I do, Steve Ginsburg, Ginsburg and find out oh, whether Steve you're going Ginsburg. or not. Yeah, right. Exactly. So we'll know what time to wait for you. Uh, the Costasin located 4100 North Point Boulevard. Only thing about going Saturday night, you don't get the specials. You know, you don't get the the. Well, steak yeah, you night.
3: do. You don't get the specific special night, right. but you, you open spe- up the front page of the menu, and there's always, always a bunch special of specials there. Right. Yeah,
2: that's true. That's true. Anyway, the Costasin, great food. Family atmosphere, great waitress and waiter staff out there at the Costas Inn. And if you are a fan
3: yes. of oyster stew, yes. season is back in, and you won't get it any better anywhere is else. Is that
2: Mama Triantophilosis uh, recipe?
3: I, I'm sure somewhere along the line it is. Uh,
2: But Doug and Izzy really do it upright. All right. Uh, That's our friends out at the Costas Inn. Check it out. We love Nick and Pete, and they'll treat you right. Tell them Stan the Fan, and Craig Heist
5: sent you to the Costas Inn. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values. Earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference, both at home and abroad. On the Army Team. Respect is earned daily, and now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus, or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army.
1: Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local Turtle
3: latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsberg takes a look at Baltimore basketball legend, Juan Dixon, now in his second year of trying to resurrect the basketball program at Coppin State. Plus, we celebrate the 35th anniversary of the 1983 Orioles, honoring the unlikely heroes that helped bring Baltimore its last World Series title. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at
1: PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious beat dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster. Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details.
0: Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone, go listen to Section 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336.
1: Instead of us telling you why we're
8: awesome, let's have other people tell you why we're awesome. This person says definitely a bunch of Oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets. Section
0: 336 is the greatest Baltimore Oriole podcasts around. Look forward to listening every week.
8: These guys are coconuts and if that's not enough reason to listen, they are a great listen if you want Orioles talk, even during the offseason. If you're lucky, they might even talk about the Ravens. Josh, Matt, and Bert are a must-listen every week. Check Section 336 out for yourself on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? It's KZ. This season, you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at Looply. Click the link pinned at the top of my Twitter page, that's at Fans Fantasy, and pick any five games against the spread every week it's free to sign up and someone wins a $25 royal farms gift card every single week plus we'll have great season-long prizes as well and check out all the other awesome games at loop league where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time join our Pix
1: league now at LukeLeague.com. So I'm what you'd call a regular at Chick-fil-A. I go a lot. And if you are too, then join the club. The Chick-fil-A One Club. When you get food, you get points. And when you get points, you earn free stuff. Like more food. Breakfast, for example. Yep, breakfast. There's an egg white grill on a multi-grain muffin with cheese It's not only delicious and healthy, but it now earns you points. Buy anything, get points. Order through your Chick-fil-A app, get points. You're going to Chick-fil-A anyway. Why not get free stuff for your efforts? Join Chick-fil-A One online line or through your app and while i've got your attention please remember chick-fil-a catering it's a real live crowd pleaser in fact order twice as much as you think you'll need trust me go see steve at chick-fil-a nottingham square 5198 campbell boulevard tell him i sent you if you need help downloading your app don't ask steve but he'll know someone who can help chick-fil-a one get food earn more free food
2: stand the fan back here along with craig Heist, as we wrap up this edition of the battle round
3: yeah, it's been a good show. Uh, Mike Bordick started it off, and uh, you know Rick Peterson. I, yeah, I love talking to Rick because of all the insight that he brings to the game, uh, as far as the pitching perspective is
2: concerned. And if love you, to see him end up back with the Orioles.
3: Yeah, but again, that would require. Well, now that the now, now that, that Buck and Dan are no longer here, well, maybe uh, the boys decide to take another look in that direction.
2: Yeah. Well, analytically, he was along. The, he was he was hired by Dan.
3: Yeah, and analytically, that that's why I asked him the question about Jacob Degrom. Right. I said, I that said, a great I'm going to ask you this, but I and I think I know your answer. <laughs> and we did know. his And answer. we did know his answer. Uh, what's
2: going on in college football today?
3: Well, Maryland and uh, Michigan State. Who's coaching Maryland today? Well, it's will been, Canada? Yeah, it's Canada. I'm being, I yeah, you're taking. I thought I thought something happened you in the well, last I've, hour. I was
2: waiting for something yeah. to happen. no, I no, they no, they no, no. DJ. And
3: you know what? Uh, you know, after that whole mess, yeah, which was just handled so poorly, oh, terrible. Uh, in the end, th- there's no reason why Canada shouldn't. Canada's name shouldn't be considered. Especially with the way the guys are playing for me, they're no five question. and three. No question. They've about got it. one more game to win to become bowl eligible. Now, granted, the road is not easy. No, it's
2: not. Uh, but they can win that game today against Michigan State. I, th- I think they can, and I think the fact that this all went down, that the players got apparently what they wanted, should serve as a motivating tool for yeah, them Yeah, it today. really should. And what time know, is that game? Twelve noon. Twelve noon. Yeah. Wow.
3: Starting any minute. Yeah, it's in all right. Is that on
2: the Big Ten Network?
3: It should be on the Big Ten Network, uh, and you know, but check around. I'm not sure if it's on the Big Ten Network. It may be on ESPN. But uh, Penn State plays Michigan later today at three forty-five. Who are you rooting for in that game? I think
2: we'll be uh, rooting for the Wolverines in that game. Uh, all right, Brittany Everett and I will both be at the Towson game. game. At the Towson game at four o'clock, they play the Maine Bears today okay. at four o'clock.
3: There, are there, like, two main Bears, or... Uh, just one, I just think, one? Yeah. Okay. Just or one, okay. Or the whole team. Yeah,
2: all right. <laughs> and we'll see if... Well, you know,
3: because we had the William and Mary thing where, you know, they sent two guys, to, two people to play a whole football team. Right. Which is terrible. <laughs> and Towson still beat them, <laughs> and so... Yeah. Well, you know...
2: William and Mary. <laughs> My <laughs> wife
3: went to William and Mary, so anytime you <laughs> <laughs> so.
2: You always uh, never miss a chance to... No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just... Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, that's the college football tonight. You're Dallas at the Caps. Dallas at the Caps. Yeah, and you know
3: that's a, this is a big game for the Caps from this standpoint. They had a one goal lead against Montreal the other night in Montreal. They gave up the game tying goal, and then within about a minute later, uh, Montreal took the lead and then added an empty netter late. So three wow. goals within the last five minutes of that game. Wow. Yeah. It's
2: not a good time for the Caps, well, right? Well, right. I mean, they're they're treading water right about f- a game over five hundred, right. but you know.
3: And they're only two points, two points out of the top spot in the division.
2: Just the the, the trend doesn't sound good. I've heard a couple of those kind of losses. Um, anyway, also tomorrow, two home games for the Redskins and the uh, Ravens. Right. I like uh, the Steelers tomorrow.
3: I like the Steelers as well because both teams, if you if you look at it, they're both different than when the Ravens went to Pittsburgh and shut them out in the second half and won that game up at Heinz uh, Field. And uh, I think the Steelers now three-game winning streak, so they have seemed to have corrected a lot of their problems. Their defense is playing better. And down the road with the Redskins. Uh, Who are you you in that game? Well, they added HaHa Clinton-Dix this week uh, to that defensive secondary to go along with D.J. Swearinger. Now, they're third in the league against the run. Um, yeah, th- third, third against, against the league against the run. The pass, eighth right? against the pass. Fifth overall. So from that standpoint... I like what they're doing defensively. They'll have a difficult time trying to bottle up Matt Ryan and all those receivers, but outside the dome, that's a little bit of a Mm -hmm. different offense. Uh, We certainly saw that against Pittsburgh, up in Pittsburgh, when the Falcons played up there. Uh, and, And, you know, for Alex Smith, it's just a matter of, you know, you got Peterson in the backfield, but the Redskins are banged up. They're missing Trent Williams. So who do you like in a
2: game? I, I'm going I'm, to I'm gonna go with the Redskins, but it's not going to be an easy game. All right. There you have it. I don't know who to pick in that game. But uh, we will be back next Saturday. Don't forget Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer here every day, Monday through Friday with uh, the Glenn Clark radio program. Ken Zales tomorrow, 10-12, to 12, along with Sarita Hubbard, Kyle Ottenheimer. Halftime Glenn Clark with Project Game Day After the game, Glenn Clark and Sarita Hubbard. For Brittany Everett, Craig Heist, I'm Stan the Fan, and we'll see you down the road.